Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this podcast for College Success Formula members. I'm Tom Bodorf, co-founder of College Success Formula. Uh, the title of tonight's podcast is Attention Rising Juniors, Why Your Junior Year is the Most Important of All. My special guest tonight is Dan Bissig. Dan's joining us from the wonderful state of Kentucky. Dan formed his organization, College and Beyond, in 2006. After a successful 15-year career as a financial planner in the insurance and investment business. Now, for over 10 years, he's been helping parents and students with career identification, college selection, college admissions, test preparation, college funding, and much, much more. So, Dan, thank you for joining us tonight, and welcome. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be with you this evening. Okay, Dan, so why is the junior year of high school so critical when it comes to planning for college when so many families assume that it's way too early? After all, for a rising junior, they're not leaving for college for about another two years. So why is it so critical? Well, you know, Tom, it's interesting because there are so many things that have to come together in the junior year. And if you think about even just the beginning of the school year, in a lot of cases, students are starting to take um, advanced placement classes at a much, much uh, higher level. You know, it could be that they dabbled with a few, maybe one during the freshman year, maybe another one during their sophomore year, but uh -huh. whammo. Now we've got the junior <laughs> year. Their curriculum is full. They're taking three, four advanced placement classes or maybe IB classes. And the reality is, is because of that added pressure, then you've got the balancing act of everything else that's got to be done, meaning you know, they're also potentially in a sport or they're doing other outside activities or things. And so sure. there's just a ton of pressure that is put on the juniors. And yet in the background, the whole time, they have to be looking at the fact that college really isn't all that far away because, as we know, the vast majority of applications and um, essays, for example, that need to be submitted are going to be about a year away. Right. And, and so I absolutely think that they've got to or start strong. They've got to be really focused on what they can control, which is staying engaged with their GPA, because that GPA is critical, not only at the beginning, but absolutely at the end. Right. You know, and, and the reason for that is because the vast majority of high schools out there are going to take the cumulative GPA for that student based on their freshman, sophomore, and junior years. They may not even take into consideration the senior year GPA, at least for the first semester. Uh -huh. And so they have to excel and do really, really well and be focused on what they can control, which is uh, their academic success. Gotcha. You know, the, the junior year, and especially the rising juniors, that's always been my, my favorite season to talk to, to students that are really serious about college. When they're coming into that junior year, there's so many things they can do and so many things they have to be aware of that they need to accomplish in that junior year. And it's amazing how many families have no idea about this. So I'm very grateful that you're doing this podcast with us and our audience, uh, which is full of juniors tonight, Rising Juniors, is thrilled. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, great to do it. Yeah. Now, Dan, I, I find there's a lot of concern out there and even worry and confusion um, about standardized tests. When should a student, first of all, start taking their PSAT, the SAT, the ACT? And does it matter which one or ones they take 
and how many times they take it. Let's hit all those at once. <laughs> okay, you got it. Well, so again, because we're talking the juniors and maybe you know, there's some other siblings or parents that have kids that are younger that, that's listening to this uh, podcast as well, but I love the idea with the PSAT, if they can take it as a practice test during their sophomore year, uh -huh. and then really do everything they can to prepare for that PSAT, which they're gonna take, of course, in the fall of their junior year. So many kids think, oh, I'm just going to go take this test, and they really don't understand the dynamics of it, but it's absolutely critical because of the national merit opportunities that they could qualify for right. as a semifinalist or a finalist and how that really elevates them when it comes to their resume when they're applying to colleges. And so in my opinion, spend as much time or, or put time into prepping for that exam just like you do for the ACT or the SAT because you really only get one shot on that test to prove how good a student you are. Now, when it comes to the ACT or the SAT, I'm a huge fan of having students start to take that exam much earlier again. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to suggest that a student take the ACT or SAT in December of their sophomore year. Um, okay. At, you know, in June of their sophomore year and then continue to take it all the way through their junior year a, a few times before, um, you know, a, a lot of these schools uh, or states, I should say, are having students take it statewide anyway, the ACT or the SAT. And so um, the good news is this. The colleges will take either test. So whether you take the ACT or the SAT, and by the way, I encourage students to take both of them okay. and, and figure out which test they actually like and which one they excel at better. Um, you know, the stats go like this. They say that a third of the students are, will do better on the ACT, a third will do better on the SAT, and a third will do equally as good on either test. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and so based on that, figure out which test you like best and make sure that you take it enough times to get the score that you need to receive so that ideally you're in the top 25% of incoming freshmen when you're applying for those scholarships in the admission to those schools. Sure. You know, a couple questions on, on that. In fact, we should do an entire podcast on testing. <laughs> I agree. That, yeah. That'll be, we'll put that down uh, for a future one, okay? Um, regarding the, the PSAT, something that I've realized through the years is that a lot of families don't realize that the junior sitting is the only one that counts. Right. I mean, they That's can right. take as a sophomore the PSAT. I know some schools even offer it to to freshmen, the full PSAT to freshmen. Uh, in fact, I have a, a friend over in Texas and his daughter was attending a, a, a wonderful public school over in Texas. And it was mandatory, he told me. That all freshmen take the PSAT. That, that, wow. that, that's a really great school from a college preparation st standpoint. Yes, it sure is. We don't have that here in California, sadly. <laughs> well, we don't in Kentucky either. In fact, in some of the high schools, they kind of look at a parent or a student, if they even ask to take it in the sophomore year, like, what are you thinking? Yes, um, it's amazing. It, it, it is, especially, you know, again, for, for the students who are really trying to position themselves for the big opportunities out there, yes. it's necessary to do well on that test because you have to remember, um, so many of these schools are buying lists. They're going to buy the top ACT uh, students, the top SAT score, you know, score recipients, the, the top PSATs, and these students are going to get inundated with information <laughs> that's being mailed to them they do. earlier and earlier, right? They get flooded. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, so, I, I, I've had, excuse me, I've, I've had some students actually, this is so sad, and I have this happen every year. 
tell me if you've ever experienced this. I'll have a, a really high achiever come in after the PSAT sitting in the junior year. So they're, they're maybe a second semester junior. And they tell me that they did not take the PSAT in the junior year because they did so well on it in the sophomore year. Oh, no. Have you ever had that happen? I, I have never heard that before. I've had that wow. a number of times here in our local district, sadly. And I, my heart just sinks because I'm thinking National Merit Scholarship funds have been completely missed out on here by this stellar student. So, so parents, if your student does well on the PSAT in the sophomore year, by no means don't exclude them from taking it <laughs> in the junior year. It's the only one that counts. And that, I, I think, still this year is only in the month of October, I, I believe. That's is right. That right, Dan? Yep. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, Dan, by the way, everyone, is an expert on these tests. So we're going to definitely be doing a, a podcast dedicated to the PSAT, SAT, ACT testing and strategies and so forth. And, and Tom, by the way, just one other side yes. note on that. You asked about how many times the students oh, yes. should take it. Yes. You know, and, and so let me just pick on the ACT for just a minute because a student can actually take that test up to 12 times. <laughs> now, I'm not going to kid you. Uh, you and I both know that there probably comes a point where one of two things happens. Either the student is burned out, like mom and dad, I'm not going to do it again, or they hit their ceiling. You know, they sure, literally get sure. to the point where they have maxed out. They, they just take it time and time again, and their score just keeps getting stuck at that same level. And if it even decreases a little bit after a certain yeah. point, they're just so burned out, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It happens all the time, you know, that, that that happens. But what I would say to you, though, is I truly believe that a student should continue to take this test as long as they can, uh -huh. but they have to do their research. They have to know what is it going to take to try to qualify, again, for the top scholarships that they might need to be able to get into a particular school or how to get admitted to that particular school. And so do your research so that you're not caught off guard when you discover that you may be in the range, but you're on the low end of the range, sure. which could really cost you in the end. Sure, sure. Hey, Dan, one question about something you said regarding taking it in the sophomore year. Now, is that a function of, of a student having really high GPA or not? What about the, just the course level, the course material? that is covered on the test that they may or may not have had in their course study as a sophomore? How's that work? Well, Tom, that's a great question because I'll tell you this. The, the main reason I even suggest the idea of taking um, the ACT in the sophomore year is because of the math component. And, and here's what I mean by that. You know, I'm, I'm sure other students across the country are having this happen where during their middle school years, they took Algebra one. And then suddenly the freshman year, they're taking algebra two, and then geometry is coming along and maybe even a pre-calc. You know, it could be that they're really escalating what they're going to do because then they're going to take like AP calculus, AB or BC or stats or things. We know that on the ACT that currently there are four trigonometry questions. That's all four questions out That's of it. 60. Oh, wow. And, and so because of that, I have seen it before where students have been um, caught off guard, meaning they've forgotten their math because they've already moved ahead. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the encouragement about having them take the math, or let me give you another example. I see. The, the English side, you know, dealing with, again, um, the fact that they had all their grammar and their punctuation and all those things so much earlier, and they forget it by the time the test comes around. So if sure. they can take those tests and kind of practice those skills, I think it can really be beneficial to them. Good, good point. I appreciate that. Good point. Okay, Dan, let's touch upon the topic of college majors and careers. Um, oh, yes. What, what can a student do if they're kind of, let's say, stuck when it comes to a future career and even what to major in once they attend college? 
what do we do about that? Well, so there's a couple of approaches to that. Um, again, there's a number of schools these days that are using, say, Naviance, or maybe yep. um, you know some kids are using Guided Path, or uh -huh. maybe they're using some of the other career counseling programs that are available out there. You know, one of the challenges that happens, Tom, is that these students a lot of times take those assessments early in life. I'm talking maybe in middle school. And they get really jaded by the answers. You know, it might say that they should be a tattoo artist or a taxidermist <laughs> or a garbage guy, a garbage man, or a funeral director. And they immediately kind of shut down on the whole idea of it sure. having any validity. So what I believe needs to happen is as students kind of mature, we know they do. You know, their interests are going to change. Their skills are going to change and, and all of that. They should continue to take those types of assessments. And as they, I mean, think of it this way, they're taking the thousands of opportunities out there and really narrowing it down to things that they really ought to consider. Uh -huh. Once they do that, then the opportunity is, can you possibly set up some shadowing opportunities in your area? You know, in other words, if you're thinking of medicine, could you get yourself set up to go observe a doctor, maybe a family practice doctor or mm -hmm. a dentist? You're thinking of law, could you go actually shadow an attorney? The whole idea is if you can take those kinds of careers for a test ride, it's a whole sure. lot better to have that opportunity to see what you may or may not want to do. Great advice. Absolutely. They can be doing that in the summer months, too, certainly. Absolutely. Great time yep. to do that, right? A little bit more discretionary time than normal through the school year. Yeah, and, and you know, just another example, there's plenty of colleges that during the summer like to have camps. Um, for example, there could be an engineering camp or an architecture camp or any number of things like that, a writing camp. And so the idea is try to get yourself plugged into those things as well as taking those kinds of classes in high school. For example, if you're considering computers, why not take computer science? If you're thinking of psychology, look at psychology as a class. Take those kinds of classes for a test drive so that you can decide, yes, this is for me or absolutely not. I don't want to consider it anymore. You know, that, that's great advice. And even excluding things by experiencing this is really an asset. I've heard of students even as late as the junior year in, in college interning in what they hoped would become a career, and they realized this is not what I thought it was. Well, thank heavens they learned then, instead of getting their degree in that particular major, and then getting into a career that they wouldn't have enjoyed. So excluding them by way of experience is a great option. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt about it. Better to to take it off the list now than to pay the price later on in life, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, Dan, what about actually visiting these colleges? What's the best time when students and their parents should start visiting colleges? Great question. Um, I, I will tell you this, Tom. I absolutely believe that it comes back to, again, the balancing act. So let's think about it for a, sec for a second here. Um, if students, well, if they're doing a sport, and we know that sports, of course, are seasons, it could be a fall sport or it could be a spring sport. Well, the problem with that is it's very likely that that's going to take away those open opportunities that you have to actually go do those college visits. And to me, that's the best part about exploring careers and then saying, okay, let's start to go visit some schools that fit you. And by the way, when I'm talking about that, it's based on the fit being the academic fit the financial fit for the family, the social fit, and the geographical fit. And, and I throw a fifth one in there, which is the athletic fit, if the student's looking at sure. you know, going into uh, some kind of sport. But the fact of the matter is, the sooner you start those college visits, the better. And 
If you can do it when school is in session, that could be ideal because then you get to see what happens when that bell rings right. and the students are changing class. And, you know, what do you think about the dynamics of the student body and, you know, just kind of the, the way that the whole thing works? Is it the kind of a place that you see yourself at in the future as far as thriving or, you know, where you just go there and survive? You know, so yeah, it, best ones in session. What, what about college visits in the summertime? I get that question a lot. Should should we at least do the summer, like if we're going back east? You know, as opposed to not visiting at all, would the summer be better than nothing? I get that question quite a bit. I absolutely believe that getting on the campus is better than not getting on there at all. Any time um, of the so, year. <laughs> any time of year. You got it. You know, um, and the reason being is you want to at least get a feel for. Do I see yeah. myself going to school here? And let's not forget, even during the summer, there are classes that are being taught. So you're going to get at least a little bit of an experience and or there could be sure. camps that are going on in the campus. Um, better to walk the hallowed halls of the campus and, <laughs> and get a feel for it than not to be there at all and just submit your application and assume there's that nasty word, but assu <laughs> assume that it's going to be the right fit for you. When in the end, you may get to that campus and be the loneliest person in the whole world because it's just not right. Exactly, exactly. Yes, there's nothing like visiting the campus. And I, I found through the years that it, it's kind of kind of weird, but the students that I talk to, when they visit a school that's actually in session, which, again, is the ideal time for sure, no question about that, but they seem to know within the first you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes whether that school is going to even have a remote possibility of being on the short list or not. It's kind of this sixth sense they've got, you know, they have a, a feel, a sense, don't they? Once they sit yeah. in the camp, start walking around, looking at the students and looking at the buildings and just the, the architecture and everything. It just kind of comes together or it doesn't. It's a similar kind of reaction that you have when you date somebody, right? <laughs> That's, you know, that's either hit it off or it doesn't work out at all. And it's better that you figure that out very quickly. The sooner the better. The sooner the better, right? You don't want to be miserable. That's a, that's a great point. Good analogy, Dan. <laughs> hey, Dan, from a strategic standpoint, uh, what can a student be doing in their junior year to help him or her stand out from the rest of the competitive crowd when it comes to scholarships and admissions? So think of it this way, Tom, you know, if you're a student who's excelled at your school, meaning you've got top uh, GP or top GPA, um, specifically, by the way, a top unweighted GPA. Okay. In addition to that, you've got top test scores. You look like everybody else that's in the top five or 10% of not only your graduating class, but all the graduating classes across the country. Sure. Um, and so the question becomes, what are you going to do that's going to set yourself apart from the crowd? What is going to be your hook? That's the way I describe it. In other words, did you, for example, um, set up a situation where you started a business? Maybe you wrote a book. Uh, maybe you have developed something. I mean, you actually um, came up with a gadget or a gizmo or something that caught some attention of people out there. Um, maybe you started a foundation or a community service group in your area where you really got some traction with it and you got some publicity with those types of things. Now, don't get me wrong. What you do not want to do is you do not want to make something up just for the sake of padding your resume, right? That's very common. Yes. It is very common. And you know what? That's not the reason to do it. The reason you do it is so that if you're in an interview and they start to ask you about it, that you can very eloquently and from the heart tell the, the folks exactly what you did and what a significant thing it was for you. And if possible, 
the fact that it has legacy, meaning it's something that will carry on even past you where you're going to have the chance to maybe hand the baton off to somebody else, uh, whether it's a sibling, maybe you've got a brother or sister that wants to continue with that or whatever it might be. But I really do think in this competitive age for the big scholarships, and it is super duper competitive, that you have to do something that makes you stand out. Because if you don't, you're going to look like every other superstar student that's coming out of these high schools today. Uh, absolutely. The, the competition is fierce. It is. And uh, you're, I love your word hook. They've got to have some kind of a hook to show them as being different in some way, some significant way than the rest of the pack. Yeah, they sure do. Like a job interview. <laughs> well, what's different about this guy than the, the first 100 people we've interviewed? You know, there has to be that hook, a gr great term for that. Yeah, and let's not forget that the thing we're competing against, too, is something we can't control, which is called the human element. And that's the fact that eventually some admissions person or some scholarship committee member is going to read your application. They're going to read your credentials as far as what you've done. And they're going to read your essay, potentially, if an essay was required. And they're going to make a judgment call. And you have to hope and pray that on that day they didn't pour a cup of hot coffee down the front of them or have a fender bender coming in or a fight with their significant other, right? Right, right. You know, and so those are the things we can't control, which means you have to put your best foot forward in all cases. Great point. Great point. Well, Dan, last but certainly not least, paying for college. <laughs> when is the best time? to have what we call the money talk. And why must a family learn their expected family contribution? Any advice on this? Oh, you better believe it. You know, Tom, I'm a huge advocate of telling families all the time that the sooner you have this conversation, the better. I mean, you and I both would agree that if we could just get families to have this conversation when the kids are in, even in grade school or middle school or early <laughs> high school, it'd be great, right? Yes. Unfortunately, it's a subject that often gets kicked down the road and they just never got around to talking about it. But the critical part is this, because of the new formula or the, the new way that they're using the, the FASO based on an October 1st opening deadline uh -huh. and using this thing called prior prior, which means that you're using the tax return from two years prior, Right. that the fall of the junior year is critical because that is the year that it's going to be taken into consideration. So think of it, it's the, the spring of your sophomore year and the fall of your junior year's tax return that's going to be taken into consideration. And so for those right. families out there that, you know, where maybe mom and dad own a business and they wanna do some creative things legitimately, okay? But, but do some yep. things, to, you know, to try to figure out a, a good way to uh, minimize the effects of the business and the income on that. Well, then you've got to be doing that in, you know, the year before. I mean, it actually happens in your sophomore year, you know, and so right. there's, there's so many things, so many strategies that if you just uh, take it for granted and don't think, think through it, you could pay the price. And so my encouragement to everybody is calculate your EFC ASAP, because <laughs> if not, you're going to pay the price and you're going to look uh, back and you're going to go, if I could, if only I could have, should have, would have which is nothing but a bunch of regrets, and you know it's going to be too late at that point in time. You know, to clarify for everyone, the, the way that this time frame works out, so for rising juniors, the FAFSA form, the financial aid form that is required by most colleges in, in America as the primary financial aid form, will come out October 1st of 2018, correct? So for rising juniors next year's FAFSA, October 1st, 
but they'll be using the 2017 tax return, which we're in the midst of right now. So any strategies that need to be implemented for the freshman year of college, as far away as that sounds <laughs> for, for juniors, is this tax year is the critical year. Right now, we're, we're halfway through it at this point. That's right. We are. And, and that's why you know, we can't encourage you uh, families enough to calculate your EFC because if you don't, you really, I mean, you have to have a clear understanding of what the schools are going to expect you to pay to send your son or daughter to college, especially if you discover that the reality is the only way you're going to be able to reduce the cost is by finding schools that then offer merit aid, you know, for the talents or the academics. Take action today. Absolutely. And, you know, Dan, EFC is one of one of your favorite topics and one of mine as well. We should do a podcast just on EFC as well. There's I, I, so much I confusion agree. about that, and there, there's so much ignorance about EFC, expected family contribution. And just in, in a nutshell, just very quickly, kind of a, a summary um, statement of what EFC is, uh, families. Your expected family contribution is the primary calculation that schools use in determining your child's need-based financial aid. So when you know, families often assume they make too much money for financial aid, they're often wrong. Sometimes they're they're correct, but it all comes down to this one number. And the only reason that you really are filling out a financial aid form, the FAFSA or the CSS profile, as a whole other topic, is for this one computation called expected family contribution, EFC. And you've got to know what that EFC is. There, there's tools. We have a tool on our website. You can go to the FAFSA website and use what's called the FAFSA forecaster. But you've got to learn your EFC now so that you know if you're even in the running to get any kind of need-based financial aid, ideally grant money. We're not talking loans and work studies. We're talking free money, grants. And it all begins with learning your expected family contribution. So, Dale, we'll get that on the calendar. That that might be a good fall topic for us to, to discuss with our families. No, I think it'd be terrific because, you know what, you and I both know that, unfortunately, people procrastinate when it comes to running that calculation, and it really is pretty simple to do. There's Again, the calculator that you've got on your website is a perfect place to go and run the number so that then you don't deal with, again, these surprises that come in the future. And, and yep. really the, the consequences of those, you know, those choices of waiting too long to, to know that number. You know, families often see the CFC for the first time, see their number, their calculation. And they'll call me or come into the office and they say, now, now Tom, this EFC, that's the EFC for four years, right? That's for all four years. My EFC was $60,000. So college is going to cost me 60000 over four years. I say, no, that, that is one year of expected family contribution. They always have the same reaction. Well, there's got to be a mistake. Has to be a mistake. <laughs> there often is not. So it's important to know that, again, sooner rather than later. <laughs> you better believe it. Yep. So run the numbers. You know, Get on there and do those expected family contribution calculations now. You will be glad you did. That's right. That's right. Well, Daniel, next month, uh, here we are at the end of July, uh, students have about one more month before most of them go back as a senior. Um, any any final thoughts on a, anything they can kind of scrunch into these last 30 days or so of the summer before they begin their, their junior year? Well, let's not forget that there are um, tests that are 
offered during the summer months, right? We've got the, the new SAT that's coming up. Right. This time next year, there will be a new ACT that's going to be offered in the summer months. So, and, and I always, always hear this, you know, students saying, I'm just too busy to do any prep, right? <laughs> yep. So use the summer months effectively to do that. Go ahead and do some preparation. Look at taking those SAT or ACTs before you get into to the thick of your um, curriculum that you're going to be carrying into your junior year. The other thing is, you know what, it's still not too late. If you're considering a particular career out there, why not go ahead and see if you can still set up a shadowing opportunity? You know, let's try to make some connections and at least think about it. Start to think about it before the school year starts because really there's nothing worse um, or, or, or more stressed, uh, stressful for a student to get out there and think, I have no idea what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, so try to visit schools. I mean, visit the big flagship universities, visit the liberal arts schools. I mean, that could be a good alternative for you. You know, try to start thinking about some of the bigger schools or the smaller schools so that you get a sense of what's right for you and where can you really, you know, again, position yourself to be a success in the future. Because here's the thing, I believe this in my heart of hearts. I believe the student makes the school, a school doesn't make the student. And what I mean by that is, um, any high quality student is going to be successful wherever they go because of them. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You know? So just be proactive. Do not be reactive. And worst case, don't be, you know, a procrastinator because you will pay the price. That's right. Big in many ways. <laughs> yep. So many ways. And then one thing you said too, one, one last comment here. Um, families might not realize that this is the first August coming up where there will be an SAT sitting, right? This come the first time yes. they've ever done that before. I think first they time ever. did they cancel I think they canceled what the January sitting and moved it to August as I recall, I believe. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, now the one challenge with this new August test is that not all testing centers that normally offer the SAT are offering it this time oh, around. Oh, okay. And think about it. The reason being is because often these high schools have to bring teachers back. Sure. Teachers aren't real thrilled with giving up their summer break. <laughs> That's and, right. You know, and so we've seen some of that where the teachers who normally proctor the tests, um, sure. you know, so there are schools that are not offering it. So be very, very careful. Do not wait if you're considering <laughs> taking that SAT to get yourself on, a, you know, on the schedule someplace because you may discover that suddenly you're having to drive 45 minutes to an hour just to go to a testing center to be able to take that test. Good point. Good point. But it is a great option for the first time oh, to be able to take the, the first SAT as early as the August you know, coming yes. into that junior year. That's great. It sure is. That's Thanks. awesome. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for joining us tonight and for this great information for rising juniors who are planning for college. Now, if anyone has any questions, Dan, how can they best contact you? Well, the easiest way is for them to uh, go to my website, which is college and beyond llc.com and there's actually a contact button on there um, okay or they can always send me um, an email at dan bisig b-i-s-i-g at college and beyond llc.com or give us a call uh, 859-283-2655 excellent and before we sign off tonight dan i want to be sure to mention your book college oh, entrance yeah. game plan can you tell us a little bit about that book Absolutely. So um, Ryan Clark and I co-authored this book together. It's actually been out for about a year now. Uh -huh. uh, it made the bestseller list when it came to the ebook version. All right. And yeah, we were real excited about that. But 
it is a comprehensive guide that helps um, walk families through every aspect of the college process. Think of it this way. It's kind of for the do-it-yourself kind of family. Uh-huh. Um, but there's timelines in there, great information as far as chapters on writing a good essay, um, applications, scholarship guidance, and so forth. Um, and, you know, is a special um, offer for your podcast listeners. Uh-huh. One of the things we're doing is on my website, there's actually a link for that, Tom. And if they, in the coupon code, actually on the second page, there's a, an initial page that says type in a coupon, but the, on the second page, if they type in, in lowercase, the letters C, S, F. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. If they put those in, then they'll get an immediate $11 discount off of the ebook Ooh, version wonderful. of my book. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for that. And that CSF as in College Success Formula. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you for that. I'll thank you in advance for all of the takers on that. Yes. <laughs> well, that's great news. Thank you, Dan. And thank you, College Success Formula members, for joining us, whether you're listening to us live this evening or the recording at any later date. Now, again, I encourage you to visit Dan's website. And once again, that's College and beyond LLC.com. You'll find some terrific information there. Okay, so as always, we're here to help you succeed as you plan for your children's college, and you can contact us at support at collegesuccessformula.com. So until next time, take care. College planning success to you, and may God bless. Good night.